0: blessed and we are looking realistically at the spiritual meaning of the beatitudes part 1 blessed are the poor in spirit part 2 blessed are those who mourn and last week blessed are the meek meek signifying that person who lays their life before the Lord with outstretched arms and let your will be done is the prayer in their life before their heavenly Father. Knowing that they can inherit this earth in the sense that they can enjoy life and the blessings of God because God has moved in their life and you, I, they have surrendered to the degree that no matter whatever comes, God is in control. And this morning in part four, we look at another powerful text. And we're going to begin to reflect on that with our scripture. And so I'm going to ask everyone to stand in honor of God's holy word if you can. And we'll talk about this later, but join with me in the reading of Solomon from Ecclesiastes chapter 3. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. May we all be blessed at the reading of God's Word. Now let us remain standing and worship the Lord. Continue just to give those hugs and handshakes, and we'll get into part four. It is uh, so interesting to stand back and sort of see how God's sovereignty really does work. You know, I'm preparing this series, Blessed, working through the Beatitudes and the timing of it all, uh, you think, like, you know, you're planning things so perfectly, and uh we had planned the picnic so long ago before we ever got to the Blessed series, and the dills, if you've seen the menu on Facebook, it's like barbecued chicken, but three different things done to it, and then potato salad, but that's not enough, we need some German potato salad, and then, then we need some three bean salad, something with salsa and pork and beans, and It just goes on and on and on and on and on. And part four in our series, Blessed, is Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. I want to talk to you about a concept from that text of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6, in the Beatitudes. What it means, and what it doesn't mean, and how it truly should speak to us all in terms of what Jesus desires for each one of us. There's the passage of scripture that we opened up with in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 verse 11. We read it together and I'm sure that you read it and like, you know, what does that really mean? Because you think about it, God has made everything beautiful in its time. God has went through that text of Ecclesiastes 3 talking about the way God has designed this world. That there's a time for absolutely everything. Because that's the way God has designed it. You and I can't change it. Because that is the way God has designed it. So if you get a chance later on, go back and read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. But God has made everything beautiful in its time... What else has God done? He's also at eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. What does that mean? Well, we understand that eternity in the heart or in the spirit of mankind, God has placed it in us. In our creation, when we were knit together in the secret place that we read about in Psalm 139, when we learned that all the days of our lives are ordained and written in God's book at our creation, He placed eternity in our hearts as a metaphor to say it's in our nature, it's in our spirit. There is something about mankind that God has done by placing this everlasting, this eternal, this sense of eternity in us that there is more than this life. And yet while God has placed that in us, He's withheld something from us. And that is being able... To understand it from beginning to end. And in that, there is a sense of restlessness or longing that is never filled unless it is filled by God. You can look at people in this life, your friends, your own experiences. You chase after, you think that you want, you desire a thing, you obtain it and it meets your need. It satisfies for a little while and then it no longer satisfies. I mean, it's just the way God has designed it. Last night, my wife made the perfect dinner for a southern boy, all carbs. Is there anything better than all carbs? She asked the question, what about some pan-fried chicken, homemade mashed potatoes, and I'll whip up some homemade gravy to pour all over it. Does that sound good? Like, when would that not sound good? You know, you hear certain foods and you know how your, your tongue starts to salivate and it's like your stomach starts to growl because it just sounds good and you're thinking about that. And uh, I ate and I enjoyed and maybe ate too much, but finished it and was satisfied and then it wasn't hardly 35 minutes later, and I had that vision of those Klondike bars in the freezer. It's like, and I sat there and asked myself, like the rest of you do that's trying to watch, you know, your eating at different times in your life, like, am I hungry? Not really, but sort of. And that would be the perfect top to top off everything. And I ate the Klein Dog bar. And I enjoyed every bit of it. i even let it melt just a little bit so it would be that soft ice cream and the healthy chocolate. And I'm not just joking with you. An hour later, I grabbed me some ruffles and I chowed down on them like I hadn't eaten all day. The point is, hear me please. God has designed this world so that the things of this world will only satisfy for a time. And He has created it that way for a purpose. A few verses down from this He says, God has done this so that mankind would revere him. There is a poem by a 16th century poet and priest of England named George Herbert. If you get a chance later on this evening, Google the pulley. It is probably the best thing description of this verse but in it this George Herbert writes this fantastic poem and basically it is the Godhead talking to one another and and how they're going to bless their creation and the blessing of the creation is this metaphor of this full glass of water and the Godhead begins to pour out the blessings On the creation. The blessing of some joy. The blessing of happiness. The blessing of some knowledge. The blessing of some wisdom. The blessing of beauty. And on and on it goes until the Godhead pulls back as they near the very bottom of that glass. And that last blessing is rest. And the Godhead's conversation is we will give them all the other good gifts and blessings in their life. However, we will withhold rest from them just in case our goodness doesn't lead them to us. Maybe their restlessness, they will throw themselves At our breast. God gives us so many good things. And so many people enjoy the good things. But they don't enjoy the God who is the source of the blessing. And so God in an effort to bring us to him keeps us restless in this world. Therefore, He puts eternity in our heart, but He withholds us the ability to understand it. And so we are restless until we find our rest in Him. And the whole book of Ecclesiastes is what? About running and chasing and gaining and building and having and accumulating, but none of it brings satisfaction for very long. And that is life. And that is the way God has designed it. Who here is restless? This is how Isaiah says the same thing to us. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread? And your labor for that which does not satisfy. There it is. Why are you spending? Why are you working in those areas of this world that don't satisfy? Listen diligently to me. The English Standard Version, which is more literal, is like, listen, listen to me. It's almost screaming it out. And eat what is good, is what Isaiah says. And delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear. And come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isn't that beautiful? Solomon and Isaiah put it in different ways. But it's the same message. We are putting our energies, our efforts, many of us, into things that are empty, temporary, and only satisfy for a short time. Oh, Lord, surely if I have a great experience, a bigger vacation, a bigger house, a better car, more money in my savings, if I have all these things... I'll be satisfied. Nope. Maybe for a little while. For a time. But everything is beautiful and it's in its own time. And then it changes to what it really is. A chasing after the wind. An emptiness. A void. An insatiable longing that cannot be filled except for God. Here's how Jeremiah puts it in chapter 2, verse 11. A little different than Ecclesiastes, a little different than Isaiah. For my people, says the Lord, have committed two evils. What is the first? They have forsaken me. You read Isaiah, you read Jeremiah, the big picture is a God of His people that has loved and raised His people from birth up, taking care, providing, loving, holding, protecting, and yet they have forsaken Him. That's evil in God's eyes. They've forsaken the fountain of living waters. Living waters signifying that relationship with God that meets and quenches our thirst they have forsaken that for what they have made or hewed out cisterns for themselves broken cisterns that can hold no water now I grew up on a farm and I've even drank out of a cistern it's just a deep hole with a well curb on top of it It's got no fresh spring to feed it. It just collects and gathers water. And as long as you're getting plenty of rain, that that cistern will fill up and stay full. But what Jeremiah is saying is that you've built these cisterns so that you can drink the water. But in your strength and your building, it's cracked and it leaks. It won't hold water. It won't satisfy you. And yet you continue to build cisterns. And these are evil in God's eyes. God is the one that satisfies. God is the one that provides. When you are looking to God and when you're revering God, you're not chasing after the wind. You're finding something of substance. Something that is real, something that is eternal, something that is everlasting. And only God can provide that in our lives for us to be resting in Him. Here's what St. Augustine said. Thou madest us for thyself, and our heart is restless until it rests in thee. How many of you have learned that in your own life? If you've lived any amount of life as a Christian, don't we realize that Jesus Christ, the living water that bubbles up in us, is the only true relationship that brings ultimate satisfaction? I think most of us say yes. But if you're looking in all the other areas to be filled, it simply does not last. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus says they will be filled. Now, before we look at the Matthew 5 6 passage, I simply want you to see what Solomon said and Jeremiah and Isaiah. Because Jesus has something to say on the same issue as these men did as God moved them. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Well, why not? We live in this world, that's like what Duke was saying. This is the world that we live in, and it's the way the world behaves, and the world is successful but we can't bring it into our relationship with God. For pagans, actually the word is Gentiles, and actually the word Gentile is used to represent a mindset that is void of God. So the pagans or the Gentiles or the mindset is void of God and so we run after all these things almost the identical language of Solomon of running and chasing all these things under the sun thinking they're going to make us happy well we keep running and we keep chasing and we're never happy we're never filled and then he closes your heavenly father knows that you need them but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. As we come into this word righteousness, there's different meanings and understandings of what Jesus wants us to pursue. There is the sense first of understanding that the word righteous or righteousness, it it means for us, being about those things that God says are good. That That's just like the very basic level. Like Job was declared righteous because his focus was on God and he, he did right things because he knew what God wanted from him. But we know the big pictures. We'll see the verse later that... There's no one righteous, not one that in and of themselves and their own power and their own strength. They can do righteous things in comparison, maybe others, but there is a righteousness. There's right things and there's good things. That's the basic meaning. But we are to put the kingdom first. In other words, we are to revere, revere God. That we are to lift up our eyes to God. That God is the first and the most important thing in our lives. He created us. Only He can fill the void and satisfy. Therefore, your attitude and disposition is, don't worry about tomorrow. That's what Duke was saying. For tomorrow will worry about itself each day, as we all know, has enough trouble of its own. So we see running and chasing after what we think will satisfy only to discover at best it's temporary. And I'm here to encourage you and I'm here praying as I preach that the Holy Spirit would touch your spirit to hunger and and thirst for the righteousness of God. That there's that basic level. Lord, I've went in every direction. And it's not worked. I'm angry. I'm bitter. I'm without hope. I'm never really satisfied, Lord. I've gone and tried everything. That's what Solomon says. I tried it all. I had everything. I had more wives and concubines than you'll ever have. I have more wisdom than you'll ever gain. I had more knowledge. I had more property. I had more gardens. I had it all And yet there was this tension that I couldn't enjoy it because I knew I was going to die and leave it behind to someone in my family that didn't even care about it and that would probably ruin it all. So the things of God have to come first in your life. And someone says, well, hunger and thirst... How does that happen? Is it it something that I do? That I've got to work myself up, you know, go take a few laps around the church and then, then I'm going to be ready for the picnic? How does that work spiritually? Listen, hungering and thirsting for God, I believe, starts with God. But Jesus, on that Sermon on the Mount, puts it in the hearts of people to say to them, it begins with God and knowing what God wants from you And you pursue that basic level because you want to honor God with your life. But it is much deeper than simply checking off a list. Hungering and thirsting for God is God touching you. And in God's touch, because of the longing and restlessness that's in you, that nothing is satisfying you in this world, that there's got to be something else... If I'm going to have peace and pursue God, it, it, it's both. You'll never and hunger and thirst for God if God is not touching you, your spirit. But God has given you something in your spirit in the way that He's designed it. For you to be a part of the process to know this is what's right and this is what's wrong. But it's more than just being right or being wrong. It is loving the Father, seeking the Father, revering the Father, pursuing the Father, laying yourself down and surrender and saying, Lord, I don't feel this way about this. Touch me. Work in me. Transform who I am through the power of your Spirit and your Word as I submit and surrender in my brokenness. And I believe in that attitude is where God works the greatest. So blessed, the word blessed means God's favor. It's that image of His hand and arm around you. Blessed and favored are those who hunger and thirst for doing what is right in relationship to God as best they can, even though they'll never be perfect, knowing that it's deeper than just the right and wrong. I tell you, keep your oaths. But Jesus takes that and says, I tell you something that's better. Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. I tell you, don't commit adultery. That's the first level of righteousness. But Jesus says, let me take it a little deeper. Understand that, yes, this is bad and it's unrighteous, but I'm telling you, if you look at another person lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. That's what I want. I want your heart. I want you to understand that I am the God that sees the heart and the motive out of what you're doing and why you're doing it. Oh, Jesus takes it to a new level in terms of just the basic sense of righteousness. I tell you, don't murder. You've heard it said. Let me tell you something else. Not only don't murder, don't be angry at your brother or sister. Don't hate them. Because that's murder in your heart. So you start to see there's a righteousness that is a basic level of the things that God wants, and then Jesus takes it much deeper and brings it and makes it about the heart and the emotion that is connected to its love for the Father. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of God. The scribes and Pharisees, I mean, they followed the law pretty perfectly, right? They just didn't have the heart. They didn't have the love. They didn't have the compassion. They had the duty and the obedience. But they also had something else we don't want. The wrong motive. It just, it blows my mind what God is calling us to. He simply says, this is a right thing to be about and this is a right thing to do. But, you can do the right thing with the wrong motive and it's wrong. And that's he means, as he talks about, this is the way you're to approach your word. This is the way that you're to approach relationships with your wife Or husband in marriage. This is the way that you are to approach your attitude in relationship to other people. You are good and kind and loving and forgiving. You're not hostile. You don't hold grudges. Those aren't the things that God wants from you. And that's what the Pharisees had. You'll never see the kingdom of God with that kind of righteousness. It's got to be greater than that of the Pharisees. And then he says this in Matthew 6, 1. Beware, here's the attitude and motive, of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. You see, doing right things with the wrong motive brings no blessing from God. It brings maybe... That a boy, oh, did you see what she did or he did? Look how sacrificial, look what they gave up, look how hard they're working, look at their commitment. I mean, if that's what you're going for, then you better really enjoy in that temporary moment what that person is saying about you or what that person is thinking about you Because that's all you're going to get out of it, says Jesus. And what we want out of it, any of it, is to please the Father. And that's why Scripture tells us again and again, throughout the epistles, find out what pleases God, and do those things. Because yes, They are the basic acts of righteousness but have the right attitude and heart in doing them. But even in that, it is not the righteousness that brings salvation. There is a righteousness that brings salvation. There is no one righteous, not even one, So what are we going to do about that? Well, why aren't they righteous? There's no one who understands. There's no one who sees God. Everybody has turned away, just like Isaiah and Jeremiah. They've forsaken their God. They have come together to become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open grazed. Their tongues practice deceit. Their poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness, Their feet are swift to shed blood. It just shows how ugly we can be unless God is the center of all that we're doing. Ruin and misery mark their ways and the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. That sort of describes many people. Maybe it describes you. Maybe it describes me. The idea that we can be good enough, do all the right things, feel confident in our righteousness, we can't. And they'll never bring peace. But Paul in Romans 3 concludes, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law, rather Through the law, we become conscious of sin. In other words, God sets the bar. Here's the standard. These are the righteous acts. And you fail me again and again and again. And the law that I've called you to follow, you realize you can't follow it. And all it does is make you aware of how weak and broken and needy you are of Him. And then in comes Jesus Christ. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God. That's what we want. Not our righteousness, but a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. That is the description of the righteousness that we want. That is a trust and a looking to the Lord. It is called faith. It is called belief. It is called trust. And it is the center of everything that God wants His people to do and to be. I look to the Lord. He is what satisfies. He is what fills. And as Duke said earlier, in accordance with what Paul was saying, therefore, it doesn't matter if I have a lot or if I have a little, if I'm in need or if I'm in want, All that matters is that I know the Lord. And knowing the Lord is what brings rest in your life. Sometimes we forget that. Listen to what Psalm 42 says. David writes, As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, the living God. Here in just a little bit, we will be downstairs and all over this building enjoying barbecue chicken, enjoying the fellowship with one another. And we thank God because there is satisfaction that as we fellowship in this way, we know we are His. We are here today family. Family. Not just in word, but we're family. And we praise God that we can call ourselves family because I could be a brother or a sister that's been washed in the blood of Jesus that is made righteous in His sight put on His coat of righteousness and cast off their clothing that's stained. And we stand here because of the goodness and love of God, the blessing of God, resting, resting in the Lord. So while the world runs and the world chases and the world worries, And the world's in anxiety. It is because our meekness before the Lord that we're able to rest. And we challenge ourselves in our fleshly nature to strive to hunger and thirst for God more and more. May the rest of God be on you completely as you find yourself satisfied in Him, hungering and thirsting for God more and more in your daily life. You're not saying that I need more of God to be at rest. You're simply saying, Lord, I love You so much that I want to walk holding Your hand, trusting You in every step and learning from You, being obedient to You, So that you can look at my heart, the one that sees through all the facades. You can look at my heart, see my spirit, and know, and know that I love you. Is that where you are with your Lord? Do you have that rest and peace? It can only be found in God, and it's found in God through the person of Jesus Christ. Whenever we come before His mighty act on the cross to give His life as a ransom for our sin and to pay our debt, we find peace. We surrender to the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, We simply thank you for the harmony of Scripture and the power of the prophets' testimonies and the words of Jesus. We want want your people and those who have turned away and are forsaking you to have the peace and rest that We experience, Lord. And so we pray today, the church family, if there's anyone here that does not have it, Lord, please touch their hearts. Please draw them to You. Lord, we're not smart enough. We can't argue someone into it. We know it has to come from You. We know that Jesus reminds us Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. We pray that for people today. It is in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, that we give thanks and praise. And together we say, Amen. If you're here today the Lord maybe has touched you in a way that you realize that you're His, but you've forgotten and you've taken your eye off of Him and you're chasing. We have prayer teams that will partner with you and pray. We hope that you would humble yourself uh, and go to them and let them come alongside you and, and pray with you that God would get your focus back on Him. That in every aspect of your walk, you would honor and revere Him. But if you're here and the Spirit has touched you, touched you in a way that enough is enough, I'm done trying to find peace on my own, it's not there, it doesn't work, and you're ready, willing to talk about the Lord in deeper ways, or maybe you're ready to be immersed baptized into newness of life, into His death and burial and resurrection for your life, to be lifted out of that watery grave which it is, to a newness of life, and to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to seek myself out, Justin, Matthew, Bernie, John Gooch, one of the elders, a friend that you know that loves the Lord, whatever it might be, we just need you. Let the Spirit do His work in your life as you surrender. Let us all stand together. Let us pray together. Let us rejoice together. Let us grieve and mourn together. But let us lift up our eyes and our hearts to the one and only God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that is more than enough. That truly satisfied. Let us sing and worship.